0: You're listening to Midori House, first broadcast on the 11th of March 2019 on Monocle 24. Hello and welcome to Midori House, coming to you live from Studio One here in London. I'm Juliet Foster and on today's show...
1: This is a government in
0: chaos with a country in chaos because of this mess. British Prime Minister Theresa May says the vote on her Brexit withdrawal plan will go ahead. But will Parliament support her? Time for a different approach. Does Germany's vision for Europe place it on a possible collision course with fellow EU heavyweight France? My guests Carol Walker and Sebastian Borgia will be discussing this and the day's other top stories, including another day of power cuts plunges most of Venezuela into darkness, pushing the country ever closer to social implosion. And no notes, please. Just cards, apps or Apple Pay. Does a cashless society marginalise low-income and tech Unsavvy shoppers. That's all to come here on Midori House with me, Juliet Foster. Welcome to Midori House. My guest today are the journalist and political commentator Carol Walker and Sebastian Borgia. He's the London correspondent for the Tagesspiegel. Welcome both of you to the programme. Now, there are 18 days to go until Britain leaves the European Union, I'm not counting, and the deal that's supposed to make it all happen is scheduled to go before Parliament on Tuesday in a crucial vote. Most Westminster Watchers believe MPs will give the withdrawal bill a unanimous thumbs down, dealing a further blow to the ever-weakening fortunes of Prime Minister Theresa May. A defeat would trigger a vote on Wednesday on whether Britain should leave the EU without a deal. If the no deal option is rejected, then MPs will vote on Thursday on whether to request a delay to Brexit. Every time I see you, Carol, and you, Sebastian, I feel as if I'm I'm watching a dance. You're, you're not doing the dancing, but there's a dance that's going around in circles. And the only difference is that the speed is a bit faster because we're getting closer to D-Day with, with Brexit. In other words, the departure date. I mean, am I being unfair here?
1: Stumbling. It's stumbling, <laughs> not a dance. A isn't, isn't, stumbling I mean, they, dance. They, they don't dance very well. If,
2: I think the only yeah. uh, way I disagree with that is that dancing implies that people are quite joyful about this, whereas I feel that the... Mood at Westminster really is getting grimmer and grimmer. And uh, as things stand, Juliet, um, it's not looking good for the government. I should say that as we speak...
0: The Prime Minister is on her way to Strasbourg mm. to meet Jean-Claude Juncker. Now, there Jean-Claude was some debate Juncker. about this because the Irish Foreign Minister said, yes, it's happening. And then we have people in Downing Street giving out some rather muddled words where it might be or it might not be. She is on her way to Strasbourg
2: tonight. She is due to have talks with uh, Jean-Claude Juncker. And we are told that there will be a government statement by the close of Commons business. So that's in, within the next four hours or so on what kind of motion the government is actually going to put down tomorrow. Now, we had a junior minister put up in the Commons who confirmed those votes that you've just been talking about are going to go ahead. And clearly the Prime Minister would not have gone to meet the head of the European Commission unless she felt there was a prospect of getting something, something new that she can try to offer to the Commons. But, you know, I've been hearing... MPs on all sides speaking, even since it was announced that she was on her way there. And the problem now is people's views are very, very entrenched. Her party is deeply divided. It's worth remembering that the last time she put this withdrawal agreement to the Commons, she went down to the biggest ever defeat in the British Parliament. And it's clear that whatever she comes back with is not going to fundamentally change that agreement. She can't renegotiate a withdrawal agreement in the next 24 hours. The best she can hope for is some kind of promise of a legally binding addition or codicil to go alongside it. And most people, including cabinet ministers, are expecting the government
0: to be defeated again Mm. tomorrow. And this is the problem, isn't isn't it, Sebastian? The fact is that it doesn't matter what she puts in front of parliament her own party and also opposition mps are so so divided that whilst whatever is put forward to them may satisfy some it's not necessarily going to please all we're back to square one and i guess that means that the question is what size of a defeat could she be nursing
1: but look uh, if we uh, take a step back and and because in the end does it matter very much whether she loses by 50 or 150 votes not in the great scheme of things what matters i think i've been out in the country talking to people um both uh, leave and remain voters about how they feel today and and of course unfortunately the the picture is is the country remains entirely remains entirely uh, split um (laughs) <laughs> uh, but but both sides um, kept saying to me, why is it that these people in Westminster cannot? Um, grab the 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 magnitude of this issue and work cro- across parties. Mm. And that's something which I, coming from a, I know, very different uh, political uh, system. Yeah. I understand that the British system is very adversarial, but, you know, this is so big. You, there should be a way for people to say, come on, for once, let's put party uh, considerations to, to a side for, for 48 hours. And, and 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 think about what what uh, a majority in this House of Commons can agree mm. to. And there is,
0: the, there are roots. There yeah. are roots. And, and that's a very valid point. Cause I know that it's something you raised when we've spoken about this before, Carol, about this idea of parties working together. That yes, she started to do this, but it's something which should have happened at the beginning of her prime ministerial journey. It is what it is. is one has. of the
2: it is one of the many failures of Theresa May's conduct of these negotiations that she should at the start of the process, have tried to reach out across the Commons. And then there would have been the possibility, at least, of finding some sort of consensus. But in fact, she's left it so late, so late, that uh, the Labour Party, the opposition parties, uh, now believe that they are being presented with a deal that they simply cannot support. Furthermore, of course, they see this. Uh, as something which is now so tainted that they do not want to be seen to be supporting it because they think the deal would be so bad for the UK. So it's now really too late for her to try to build this consensus. By the time she invited uh, Jeremy Corbyn, the opposition leader for talks, um, the deal had already been Mm. uh, sewn up and then rejected by the Houses of Parliament uh, as I say, it is one of the many many failures of the way these negotiations have been conducted uh, and what has brought us to
0: the brink of crisis, which I think we are at now. Mm, because it, it is rather tragic, really, because, yes, we, we can make as many jokes as we like about it. But there is a terrible sense of tragedy underscoring this, isn't there, Sebastian? Because the, the British model of, of, of politics has been held up uh, as, as a standard, particularly if you're, if you're trying to establish governments in, in countries where their systems have imploded. You're looking for something fresh. And we've been held up as the model. And here we are feeding on ourselves, imploding.
1: Not so sure whether you've been held up recently, to be honest. Well, not not uh, but,
0: recently, but certainly in the past.
1: But um, I mean, there is a there is a consensual form of of, and and the problem, of course, is um, a lot of people around the world in democratic nations suspect the political. Elite of being too cosy with each other, and to some extent, the British system is good in that way because there are clear lines. You know, Th- these guys are in charge, and the other guys are the opposition. And and uh, once in a while, we exchange them, and and everybody is happy. it Doesn't work in Britain anymore. Doesn't work in other countries. But it. But but, but I mean, there there must be a way for, for And I, I don't. I'm not sure. I mean, to be fair to 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 uh, Theresa May's people, at least. Uh, Corbyn hasn't been helpful at all mm. either. Um, Corbyn's office uh, sort of saying, "Well, we'll come back to you," and then they didn't hear from them for for, for fortnight or something. But but I mean, it's 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 obvious. In Norway plus, it, it, it's it's the obvious solution. You've got a customs union. You've got access to the single market. Um, Northern Ireland is happy. The rest of Britain is happy. No no problem. The the the, the interesting thing is that. Um, the, the, you you talked about it being a bad deal no it isn't a bad deal it's a good deal for britain and it's a it's a it's a deal that the europeans can only just live with anyway the, the berliners i can tell you that on good authority they're not happy with the backstop mm. they don't want the backstop uh, they it, it it won't happen and if they can avoid it at all, so so that's that, that's that's the, the 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 madness of the British debate, which really is 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 very sad to look at.
0: But Carol, let's let's look at what happens after this vote, because you said so yourself that um, the other options will will come into play, but. If Mrs May has no choice but to go ahead with all of these votes, which clearly it does appear that that is the case, isn't there the danger that you've got people like Boris Johnson backed up by the European Research Group who would seize this moment to try to oust her because this time the gloves have been off but they've been dropping some very, very obvious hints that this may be the way it's going, that they've actually reached the end of their
2: tether? Listen, the Conservative Party, both wings of the Conservative Party, have really lost all confidence in Theresa May to lead them. Um, I think that there is no doubt that her days in power are numbered. She has already said to her party that she won't lead them into the next planned Uh, general election which would be in 2022 but I think uh, everyone expects that she will be gone within a matter of months if not sooner than that. Before Um, Angela Merkel? Even before Angela Merkel? (laughs) Quite possibly. (laughs) Quite possibly. I think certainly people feel that if we do get beyond the withdrawal agreement that somebody new will be needed to take on the next phase of negotiations which is sorting out the future trade relationship with the EU. Theresa May's whole future is undoubtedly in doubt, but so is that of the whole government. If the government is defeated tomorrow night, which seems still at this stage very likely, though we don't know what for Theresa May is the going, with, there will then be a vote on whether to leave without a deal. Um, although many in the Conservative Party think that that would at this stage be the best thing to do, there's not going to be a majority in the House of Commons for that. So the Commons will vote against it. Though that in itself does not prevent the UK leaving without without a deal. If we get to March the 29th and Article 50 hasn't been either delayed or revoked and there isn't a deal in place, well then we do still leave without a deal. But the most likely thing is that on the following day there will be a vote for some form of delay, which then of course has to be agreed by the rest of the European Union. There will then be a huge argument over how long the delay is. Well, you've got the European elections coming up in May as well. That complicates matters. So the argument is that it's either a a short delay, three months maximum, so that uh, some form of Brexit is resolved uh, before the European elections, or it has to be a much longer delay. And that would cause uproar in parts of the Conservative Party. And indeed, I have to say, amongst many of those voters, which Sebastian has been talking about, mm. who voted to leave the European Union more than two years ago.
0: And Sebastian, what we're hearing again, its we, we heard this at the very start of this this journey all those years ago, is that, you know what, maybe, just maybe we wouldn't have got to the stage where we are now, if the party, the Conservative Party, the government hadn't been led by a Remainer that even though Mrs May is talking the Leavers talk they argue that look she doesn't really mean it because she still wants to stay in Europe and she will do whatever she can however underhanded to keep us there
1: well uh, you know water under the bridge isn't it I mean could you can we, we we could go back and say well Boris Johnson becomes Prime Minister on the 14th of July whenever it was 2016 and makes a generous offer towards Remainers possible possible maybe he could have had the personal authority but you know we are where we are her problem she she, she didn't have to reject the 48% she didn't she didn't have to call them uh, citizens of nowhere she didn't have to do give the Lancaster House speech which was basically saying we want out of everything and you, you know I, I think that's all uh, speculation nothing, nothing wrong with speculating but it, it doesn't help us I I I, think, um, I mean, if if I can see anyone who, who is able to bring the Tory party and the country together, it's Michael Gove.
0: Okay, well, interesting thoughts there. We'll, we'll stay with Europe, though. We're going to stay with Europe, and this time... We're actually putting the spotlight on Germany because Annegret Kramp-Karrenbauer, who's the leader of Germany's Christian Democrats and Angela Merkel's heir apparent, has outlined her vision for Europe in a 2000 word article published in a German newspaper. Whilst calling for more convergence across a range of areas, she said that, quote, European centralism must be avoided at all costs. Well, last week, the French president Emmanuel Macron wrote a letter published in 28 European newspapers proposing multiple new institutions and a major conference to overhaul the continent's political structures. So are the EU's two superpowers singing at opposite ends of the same hymn sheet, <laughs> Sebastian.
1: Well, can I first of all compliment you on your wonderful pronunciation of Annegret kramp <laughs> from much. which from now on, I think, I, I suggest we call AKK, makes it easier. Good
0: idea. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I don't speak German either. <laughs>
1: um... Fascinating in all sorts of ways, isn't it? First of all, the reply. Oh, by the way, the reply, of course, was published in five languages as well. So, so, um, mm. so, uh, has so, a so she's a trying to she's trying to reach out to 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 other Europeans. Um, it it ought to have come from the executive, the the Chancellor Angela Merkel. No, it comes from the party leader. Mm. Now, okay, so we we have the European itself. European election campaign coming up. You could argue, but it it does suggest that power is. Um, flowing away from Angela Merkel and towards AKK. I thought her response a peculiar mix. Um, I mean, remember, she is from the Saarland, the, the westernmost region of Germany, which has very strong links to France. She speaks French. People in, in the Saarland, of course, when they talk about Berlin, they say, we're going to the Reich. Uh, you know that it's 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 still different in mm. there. Um, so so she's uh, she's um, she's a fra- she's a francophile. There's no doubt about it. But I think what she realizes maybe a little more than Emmanuel Macron is that that the gra- grandiose schemes that he uh, l- likes to put forward. Uh, don't chime with voters, it, mm. and I think with voters in a lot of countries, uh, you know, not just in Germany, in, in France, in Italy, in 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 a whole uh, lot of other places. And it what, what we are, what we need to do is to make Europe more efficient, not not make more. Uh, big ambitious uh, mm. plans. Now, on the other hand, I think one thing is totally missing. That's the euro. You know, sh- mm. you you cannot, I think, um, in 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 European politics, uh, talk about reforms and 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 the way ahead without tackling the the, the, the elephant in the room, which is the euro. Mm. The structural problems of the euro yes. remain unresolved. And okay, you can say, well, the French have suggested uh, a much closer integration of economic policies and we're against that. Okay, that's a viewpoint, but then you've got to put forward how you want to uh, resolve the the difficulties that are there.
0: So she bypassed
2: the issue, Carol. Well, isn't it fascinating that you've got these two really big European powerhouses coming up with their competing visions of what should happen to the European Union at a time when you've got not just the the UK leaving, we've got Brexit imminent, but uh, huge criticism of the European project from the Hungarians, the rise of all these populist anti-European parties right across different European states. And we had Emmanuel Macron came out with this typically Macron, incredibly grandiose vision of how we needed so much more Europe, not just more Europe, but a whole host of new European institutions. Uh, he talked about a European Innovation Council, a European Agency for the Protection of Democracies, a European Climate Bank, a European Food Safety Force, a European Council for Internal Security, <laughs> which, which in the UK A was... European Minimum Wage, etc., etc. Uh, already in... In Germany, we've seen that AKK is saying, look, all these new institutions are not the answer. And you can see that many, many voters in other European nations, particularly many of the more recently joined Eastern European nations, are going to be saying... Hold on. An awful lot of our voters want decision making devolved down. They want decision making made closer to home. They want their own national governments who are more accountable to be taking those decisions rather than more and more Mm. power going to the centre. And I think that there is a real danger that President Macron may find himself here out on a limb. But what is going to be fascinating is to see how these competing visions and these different ideas uh,
0: shake down into what does happen to the EU after absolutely? Brexit. Because because certainly the, the reactions with some of the the anti-EU papers in in the United Kingdom was was very hostile to that Macron vision. They say, well, there you go. This is what happens if you stay in because we'll end up being swallowed up by by this European vision. But what I'm what I'm fascinated by, Sebastian, is the timing not just of AKK's um, letter, but also that of, of Macron? Because, yes, we have these European elections coming up in May, but what message are the French and German leaders trying to send out to the voting public with these articles? And is it really going to make that much difference if they're trying to persuade them, look, you know, turn away from the populist tide, follow us instead, we're going to lead you in a refreshing direction which addresses your concerns, but above all, the European vision must hold.
1: Well, I'm, I don't know enough, uh, to be fair, about French politics. But what I do know is he's, f- uh, he's faced with the possibility of Le Pen's populist party winning the European elections, just as Farage, let's remember that UKIP winning the 2014 European elections here in Britain. That, that would be a terrible signal for a president who has who is just uh, coming back from a pretty bad political crisis. So he wants to uh, give people something to, to chew on and to say, look, I'm different vote vote for this vision i think from his point of view understandable that there are about i guess 30% of the population which he won't reach anyway but he's trying to get at least maybe mm. 40 35% to, to be the strongest party i think that would be very important for him come Kram- i think is 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 in a slightly different place because the cdu in germany has always been the euro party uh, and and she she's got to in, in fact rein it in slightly from the from the more uh, pro-Europeanism that Angela Merkel has has at least put forward over the last four or five years
0: Okay then Well look we'll take a break from that for the moment but we are listening or you're listening I should say to Midori House here with me Juliet Foster my guests Carol Walker and Sebastian Borgia and coming up next another day of power cuts plunges most of Venezuela into darkness pushing the country ever closer to social implosion
3: this issue, our editors and photographers were dispatched to all corners of France to paint a nuanced picture of the nation with panache in everything from aviation to architecture and from business to bread. We find out why Navy still suits the French in Toulon, the first port of call to see the nation's fleet mustering for a world-leading military role. We look into why the French turn on their leaders from Macron back to the storming of the Bastille and see how one factory nailed it and pinned down the market for specialist hardware. We also ask why the Americans are eyeing up Lyon for the future of TV and meet the Franco-Syrian refugee who launched a global construction firm. And we see why Mont Blanc is still summit special in our photo-led expo report. Plus plenty more on what makes the Gallic nations strut so convincingly on the world stage. Monocle's March issue is out now. Get your copy today or subscribe at monocle.com.
0: Still with me are Carol Walker and Sebastian Borgia. Now, schools and businesses have remained closed in Venezuela on the orders of the government as power cuts drag into a fifth day. Opponents of President Nicolás Maduro claim that 17 people have died as a result of the blackout. Amid the chaos, desperation and reports of sporadic looting are accounts of hospital doctors struggling to keep their patients alive as pro-government motorcycle gangs roam the streets enforcing order at gunpoint. So really, it's a question to both of you. Look, it's a desperate situation and no sign again that Nicolás Maduro will cave in. So how much worse do things have to get before somebody or something breaks? Well, look, we're getting pretty close to
2: the collapse of social order in Venezuela as people who've already been in dire straits struggling to get food, basic supplies, uh, medicines uh, and uh, amidst hyperinflation. And rising levels of violence. We're now into the fifth day of these blackouts. And that means not just that they're coping without heat and power and light. Uh, What little food they had in their fridges has probably rotted. They have no way to cook. But now, of course, uh, they found that communications are becoming very difficult because they can't charge their mobile phones. Um, there are uh, there is no internet, so their communications with the outside world uh, are breaking down. People have found that their local supermarkets, uh, even if they could afford. The supplies that were in there are now closed. That's why we've seen break-ins and lootings. And as you mentioned there, there is a desperate situation in the hospitals. Some of them have managed to get emergency generators in. We've seen families trying to move patients to those hospitals where they've heard that there are generators um, to keep patients alive. Um, President Maduro seems to be claiming that this is due to sabotage and cyber attacks from the United States, though there's no evidence of that. Uh, And it really does look as though this could be the final straw. And one does wonder what on earth can possibly happen next. The one main hydroelectric plant that supplies most of the electricity has failed is closed reporters who went there found that there was literally nobody there Mm. Um, this is a huge sophisticated plant um, and staff apparently have said that many of the staff had left there was a major failure there's been a failure to maintain um, basic technical standards Um, and it really does seem as though this is going to um, lead to real not just deprivation but deaths on the streets on a whole new scale Mm. What I find
1: fascinating is even even if Venezuela were still a functional functioning state, which clearly it isn't, um, to be to be dependent on one power station for a country of that size, which supplies eighty percent of electricity for the country, I think is 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 criminal. I mean, you you need to diversify. Mm. You need to you need to also, of course, maintain your infrastructure, which clearly they haven't done. I mean, th- tell me to, by all means. Tell me about cyber attacks. I, I, I tend to believe that they haven't invested enough eh, over the last fifteen years. Otherwise, things like that ha- don't happen. And even if if you have a cyber attack, you are then uh, you, you should be able to bring it back uh, mm, on, onto the grid model. within within twelve hours. Mm. You know, you've got you've got dialysis patients dying in hospitals. I'm I'm afraid there's no excuse for that. Yeah. But 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 seriously, I think the take. Away point for, for country, similar countries uh, and indeed for, for countries like ours. We need to look at our electricity supply because it tells you something about how vulnerable modern industrial societies are. If, if you lose power f- only for a day, it, it can create complete havoc.
0: Which begs the question as well, as you've rightly said, that clearly you're talking about an infrastructure where there's been no investment, inward investment, for years so where did the money go it obviously went somewhere they've got a coastline
1: i mean they must be able to have wind farms they should they 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 they, they used to have a lot of oil Mm. where where is it all gone? yeah where's
0: it where's it gone where's the money gone it really is appalling but you know have we reached a point now carol where it is too late to offer maduro and his cronies a deal that would allow them some sort of a dignified exit from an undignified situation which they have perpetuated Well, one wonders now what's going to happen with Juan Guaido, who has claimed
2: himself to be the interim president. Um, He's been recognized already by around 50 different countries, though critically, nations such as China and Russia are still uh, supporting um, President Maduro. But clearly, when the suffering of ordinary people reaches the scale that it has now you do feel that this is the point that there has to be some kind of political change one does wonder what will happen with the military who crucially until this point have been staying loyal to president maduro will they seeing the chaos and disorder on the streets decide that this is the time to seek a a
0: political change at the top enough is enough finally philadelphia has become the first u.s city to pass a bill banning stores from going cashless however the law which comes into effect at the end of july won't apply to businesses like parking garages, stores with membership models like Costco, or transactions requiring a security dep- deposit like car rentals. The move comes amid fears that cashless payment methods such as Apple or Google Pay are marginalising those low-income shoppers who might not be tech-savvy. Well, I'm certainly not tech-savvy, so doesn't Philadelphia has a point? <laughs> it's really, obviously, I'm not going to be shopping there, but for people like me... But <laughs> well, it's not
1: about tech-savviness, I don't think. I mean, that's part of it. The- the, the much more important part is socially deprived people mm. who who rightly don't get credit cards because that that's par, often part exactly. of their it's the it's often rating. part of their problem. Yeah. I mean, not least in this country where where the banks hand out uh, uh, credit cards like like uh, confetti, uh, and and you've so so in that sense, I I totally I have complete sympathy f- with Philadelphia. Although, of course, it, it seems to me very odd as a city in a in a country, in a a fairly large country to do something like that. You've got to at least have, I don't know, 12 other cities on your side before you do something like that. Well,
2: it's fascinating, isn't it? Because we are moving closer to becoming a cashless society. And I'm not sure that it's right for cities or states or nations to be legislating on what businesses should do. But I think Sebastian has a very important point about how many of the deprived, the most poorest in society don't necessarily have other forms of payment. And it's... It's a big issue here in the UK where increasingly we're seeing in many rural towns and villages the cash points and the banks are pulling out Absolutely. because we I, I have been to a town where five banks have closed. The small shopkeepers, the market traders there are saying it's causing them huge problems because people still want to deal in cash. Parents want to give their children pocket money in cash and maybe to buy a few extra things, some snacks on the way out. Many of the elderly don't necessarily want to do bank transfers they still rely on cash absolutely and whereas some businesses in upmarket parts of town may decide that it's better for their businesses to go cashless I think that there needs to be big pressure from consumers as well as governments to say to these people look This is too soon. Think about those people in society who will be really severely, not just inconvenienced, but unable to go about their day-to-day business
0: if we start banning cash. Okay, I think that's a fair enough point on which to leave it. I'm in total agreement with you guys, so thank you so much for your contribution because that brings us to the end of today's show. Carol Walker and Sebastian Borgia, thank you for joining us here at Midori House. Today's show was produced by Carlotto Rebello, researched by Fernando Augusto Pacheco and Nick Monisa. studio manager was Kenya Scarlett. Tell us how you listen to our news programmes at monocle.com forward slash M24 survey. At 1900 hours, it's the Monocle Culture Show and we'll have more on the day's main stories on the Monocle Daily at 2200.